You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Laura Weber Davis. And I'm Jake Neer. We're filling in for Stephen Henderson today. It may not be the best show to ever grace the small screen, but Game of Thrones has reached a pop culture status few television programs have realized. HBO's fantasy series based on the medieval-inspired novels by author George R.R. Martin has been the subject of numerous fan theories, online debates, and water-cooler obsession. We are no different here at WDET, with the exception of Jake Neer. (laughs) So I gathered two of the biggest Game of Thrones nerds that I know, Detroit Free Press writer Nancy Kaffer and WDET marketing director Candace Fortman to talk about the role of feminist themes on a show dominated by strong female characters. We call our meeting Dames of Thrones and a warning just before we get started into this discussion. There are going to be spoilers and we talk about the role of sexual violence in the series. Here's our conversation. So uh, let's talk about one of the things that we have noticed as a group um, about this series, which is that uh, ladies, the ladies are really starting to rule, and we have a lot of lady rulers, although some of them are being taken out as we speak uh, throughout the series. But um, the role of women within the series has really gotten a lot of shine for good and bad because George R.R. Martin, the author, Nancy's read all the books, so she's here to serve as our uh, uh, our researcher. I've read George. all the blogs. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really become apparent that he values the role of powerful women within his storytelling, but he also subjects the women to a lot of really terrible uh, things, including rape and incest and all of the things that uh, may be horrifying in a woman's world. So, Nancy, based on the books, do you feel like the series has done a good job? Uh, so the world George R. R. Martin has created in Game of Thrones is a medieval violent medieval kind of world. A lot of the events in his books are inspired by things that actually happen in the Middle Ages, mass murders and horrible betrayals. Some, a lot of this trace, some of this traces back to real life things that happened. And the way that women are treated in that show is very consistent with how women were treated in a feudal or medieval area. Women were considered dynastic bargaining chips, married off to cement alliances. Um, I don't really think that women's consent was really looked for in either the uh, technical marriage or the consummation of that marriage. For So th- this show is very consistent with that. Rape has been a weapon of war, still is a weapon of, of war all right. over the globe. So this is, this is not inconsistent that he's showing this brutalization of women. Um, it is hard to watch often. And frankly, as a book reader who now watches the show, the showrunners have upped that brutality in ways that I have sometimes found difficult to watch. Right. They, they're they sort of playing into the visuals of uh, violent rape or well, so something that you find particularly hard to watch the rather book, than read, maybe. The books aren't really complex, but they're more complex than the show. There's a lot more nuance in the books than there is in the show, and they've tended to kind of... There's a lot more nuance in the books than there should be in any regular book. Well, yes, that's true. (laughs) But I I mean, it's it's not... They're not philosophical or thoughtful or right. or uh, explorations of whatever is what I mean. They're not... They're, they're detail-oriented. They, they're, they're well-told stories. They're not intended. But, but yet, George R. R. Martin is still about 20,000 times more thoughtful than the showrunners, who at, at times have just been like... There was a joke in the first couple of seasons that 
um, one character who was a lady of the evening, so to speak, was around for uh, exposition that someone would be um, engaging with her services. What, what can we say on the radio? Uh, and, then, and then giving <laughs> and, and using the, the woman as sort of a prop to talk to about their evil plans or what was happening politically. And so, I mean, that's something, when, you're, when you're bringing in that kind of dynamic uh, sort of John prostitute relationship in order to, to deliver exposition about your show, that's a sign that you're not really... <laughs> using nuance in how Mm -hmm. uh, you might describe this dynamic. Well, Candace, you have a um, Detroit versus everybody style shirt that says everybody versus sexism. (laughs) Uh, Where does the show of Game of Thrones sort of sit with you from a feminist perspective? Right. So uh, 100% agree with everything that Nancy has just said. When you start off in this show, you start off feeling terrible for every woman you encounter. None of the women you encounter in the beginning of the show are in positions where they're, one, being valued or where they're able to escape the situations they're in. That's true. Um, I think with almost one exception um, in the fact that in the beginning, and this is going to be a lot of information for people who don't watch the show, but in the beginning when Ned Stark was sort of against this idea that his daughter should marry into. Am I making that up? That he was against that what? That Sansa he was a, Sansa Mary Joffrey. Yeah. Um, because I think he understood the life. I think he understood the life that she was going to be signing up for. I, I think, right. I think that Sansa was the one who sort of was Absolutely. wooed mm-hmm. by the idea of marrying a prince. Like a million little girls who have bought the concept that Disney Princess has a great career choice. Right. Right, which any movie will tell you it's not. There is not a single Disney movie that proves that being a princess well, and, is and, fun. And historically speaking, <laughs> princess is a really terrible job. Like, I mean, right. you know, again, dynastic bargaining chip, uh, marriage that you have no say in, and if you didn't produce a male heir, you get your head chopped off. I mean, sure. this is not a great job. And clothes that are quite uncomfortable. But kind so. of like the series, right? Sansa is kind of the perfect example of the series arc so far in that right now she's so far removed from wanting to be a princess or wanting Mm -hmm. to be affiliated with anything other than her own control of her life. So what we've seen so far in this show is there are three, at least three female characters who started off um, comparably uh, all in arranged marriages they had no control over that had um, unpleasant sexual uh, dynamics ranging from unpleasant to rape to brutal rape Right. um, who all um, two, two of three killed their husbands. Uh, one, one didn't kill him, but there was a, it was a complicated situation. And are now essentially running things. Right. It's a fascinating journey. However, I'm a little bit tired of, and this is more of a fault of the show than the books, I'm really tired of the way that for a lot of storytellers, mostly male storytellers, the only way to show a woman having power is to have her be raped and then discover her own power. On the one hand, I That's think it's great that we're showing uh, that, 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 that that is not sort of a, a life-ending experience for women, mm-hmm. that they can grow and recover and, and heal and, and, and be strong and powerful. Women can always be strong and powerful. You know, I mean, I believe but, – but I would be really – at some point it's just lazy storytelling. If, sure. if every powerful female character uh, is, became power beca- powerful right. because she was raped and then, and then rebuilt. Like women find many – you know – I'm sure a lot of rape survivors have this experience of rebuilding their lives and finding their power. Women who have are lucky enough not to have been rape survivors also find their own power. And it's just it's bad storytelling to, to make this the, the common thread for every right. woman. What, which I think makes Arya as a character 
so encouraging because one, she's one of the younger characters on the show. And from the beginning, she was unwilling to sort of buy into this idea that she had to become this princess, Mm -hmm. that she had to fall in line with this idea of what her life was supposed to be. She, from the beginning, was willing and able to sort of define what she will be. And right now what we're finding is that she's a warrior. Right. And that warrior was already always inside of her. And she worked really hard to find that person and to become the person that she is today. Um, And I can't wait to see where that character goes. I'm hoping. <laughs> well, she's sort of like Brienne, right? So Brienne, right. Uh, um, she, the, the the knight, she's this powerful knight, right? And neither Arya nor Brienne, is it Brienne? Brienne, I, right. Uh, right, Brienne. Brienne of uh, neither of them are sexualized in either a violent way or in an erotic or exotic way. On the other hand, for them to be powerful warriors, they have to be sort of portrayed as gender neutral gender right. neutral or unattractive not desirable by men and therefore they can be powerful women that's an interesting dynamic as well I mean that's uh, it, on one hand they prov- provide these like really great examples of the capability the physical capability of a woman um, to be powerful both mentally and physically yeah. right in, in battle but then on the other hand it's like what if they did have... You have to choose. Right. You have to choose between mm-hmm. one or the well, other. And I would add one thing to what you say about Arya. She's very strong. She's very powerful. But she's not a warrior. She's an assassin. She is an assassin. She right. is quite the assassin. <laughs> which is which is interesting because the big overarching theme of Game of Thrones is that this is the anti-Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is a story with noble kings and brave soul, brave warriors and, and you know, mystical elves and, and everybody. There's good guys and there's bad guys. And in Game of Thrones universe, there are no good guys. There That's are no right. bad guys. And so people like... Which is closer to life. It, it, it sure is. But people like Ned Stark, who by every fantasy convention possible... This is what made people fall in love with this series. By every fantasy convention possible, when you started reading the books or start watching the show, he's the hero. He's right. Aragon. He's the honorable. Right. right. Yeah, he's the honorable knight who stands by his king, who's loyal. He's a good father. He's honorable. And he gets his head chopped off three quarters of the way through the first season. Right. Slash Almost immediately. This is the moment where George R. R. Martin just upends things and says, this is not, you're not reading Lord of the Rings. And why does Ned Stark get his head chopped off? Because he is too honorable because when he finds out that Cersei has been cheating on her husband with her brother and has had three incestuous children, (laughs) he says to her, now Cersei, I'm going to give you 24 hours to pack up and clear out of King's Landing. And then we just, I won't tell Robert about how you've cheated on him and that your children are, you know, incestuous bastards that according to the rules of this world will probably have executed. (laughs) Uh, And so Cersei, instead of saying, oh, okay, that sounds fine, um, you know, kills her husband and then arranges for Ned to be killed as well. Right. Which, you know, which then this Ned's decision there leads to this disastrous set of consequences for his family and, you know, directly to the deaths of more of his children, the the rape of one of his daughters, the, uh, you know, Arya doesn't have, isn't sexually brutalized, but she does spend years wandering around. You don't want your small child still brutal formative life, years sure. being brutalized. She was quite a small child when yeah. this so, was happening. So this is, so this is the, the lesson of this universe is that moral flexibility is, as we might call it, is really important to survive. There are no, there are no good guys and there's no bad guys and the really good, good guys are at a steep disadvantage and that's Arya's strength is that she is not bound by honor in the no. way that her father was or her brothers were. She is 
because being an assassin is inherently dishonorable, right? Sure. You're sneaking up and killing people, you know, un- unbeknownst to them. And that probably means she's going to make it out of the series alive, which so, makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> so we only have a few minutes left, but I so I just want to talk a little bit about um, where we're heading uh, next week into Game of Thrones, the things we're anticipating. I am not going to watch the leaked episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm hell or high not. water. If, even if North Korea is threatening us, I'm afraid of Armageddon. Uh, climate change is imminent and, and harming us already. I'm not going to watch the leaked that, episodes. That moral inflexibility would get you killed. In <laughs> That's <laughs> right. True. Exactly. But I also, I think survive. we all work for media companies, so we understand better than I think most people the importance of the integrity right, of keeping of those things I, and not... I think in not engaging in that system. Right. I agree. Uh, do you not feel this I, way? I, I am absolutely, with you. No, I absolutely <laughs> feel this way, but I also kind of enjoy the ritual of anticipation. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It li- makes Sunday right. night worth it. Mm-hmm. Like watching the previously on and trying to figure out mm-hmm. what's going to happen in the next episode based on the clips that you get of the scenes from previous seasons. It's right. a thrill to me. And let's be real. If I can't watch Game of Thrones with my Twitter folks, then what's the point? I, right. <laughs> my, my, my poor sweet boyfriend who has never watched Game of Thrones until this season keeps asking me questions and I keep going, hush, hush. Who are these people at him who like have, these people annoy me. These people who My have boyfriend gotten, annoys they're you? so yes, and now does. they're just starting. <laughs> I've now said, told the world. So no, these people who have decided they've heard so much, they have heard this winter is coming forever. Now they're like, okay, fine, I'll jump in now. But don't you jump in now? We've invested <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears in this series. <laughs> he's he's only he's only watching because he's a nice he's a nice boyfriend. But okay, fine. but I <laughs> I I did have to say before. So last week's episode I think was the best episode. Definitely of the season, and in my opinion, of the whole series. It was a, the whole series. Finally, yes. got to see. This is like that literary principle of Chekhov's uh, thing about if you show me a gun in Act One, it better mm-hmm. be fired by Act Five. Right. You showed me a dragon egg. No, back in totally. season one. I finally Legit. in season seven saw dragons. Uh, entered the play on a on a battlefield. So we should and, clarify. And this is it was awesome. I really believe because Spoiler we alert. we grew up with these dragons essentially from just teeny tiny yolks and eggs to now fully realized fighting dragons, breathing napalm down on entire armies and laying waste mm-hmm. to basically the support system of an entire country. Uh, it really feels more satisfying than any other dragon action we've gotten in any other movie. Mm-hmm. I say with the exception of Falcor because he is an emotional being that we all <laughs> latch on to uh, as kids when we watch Neverending Story. And like Atreyu, we want to ride away on Falcor and have great conversations. He is nice, also happy nice digression. About- nice digression, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is the best and most exciting dragon action. And I don't know anybody who watched last week and didn't talk about how they were yelling at their screen or had chills. I, I, or... I, I literally threw my arms in the air and shouted, yes, maybe repeatedly. It was <laughs> it was exciting. And you know what's weird? It was like you're watching the decimation of a bunch of actual human beings. I know, I'm a terrible person. Right. But there's something really victorious in seeing these dragons who – in their in their lives have been uh, chained in many ways to the authority and, of this other woman and well but and but this other woman who went from being a pawn in a in a marriage alliance right. who was raped by her husband who then gets on a dragon rides up over a hill and torches the patriarchy to, it was amazing against the advice of every man in her life right mm-hmm. who was right. advising her right that and, was exactly what they told her not to do right and, and then, then we see a woman come in and say be a dragon right and she woman. took the advice of a right of, yeah. a, of another powerful woman in the show though though that powerful woman who gave her that advice things did not work out so well for no her. sometimes you get poisoned Nancy sometimes you get poisoned but yeah no it was it was a brilliant moment it was a it was the most one of the most 
most, I think, well-crafted like Absolutely. Of TV that I've ever seen. It was so tense. And it ended with some major cliffhangers about what was happening to some major characters. And I am going to be um, on my couch at 9 o'clock on Sunday, my poor bewildered boyfriend sitting next to me, uh, waiting to find out <laughs> what on earth happened. Do you guys fear that we, now that we have talked about how exciting the dragons are, do you fear that we're going to see the death of a dragon? Well, I oh, they think that we already know that's going to happen. We, they have because to. They, they created this gun that clearly can penetrate. They, they are not impenetrable creatures. Some they can us, be shot. Some of us like to think of it as a dragon lance. There's a real nerdy callback for you. Um, sorry. Nobody? I, nobody? No. Sorry. Is that okay. book, My book, nerd book does reference? not go that far. Yes. <laughs> Uh, a D- a D- <laughs> that's a Dungeons and Dragons reference. Oh, oh uh-huh. wait, it, it wow. was way out of my wow. <laughs> my, my 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 geekiness is, is it's, it knows no levels. It's legit. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, no. I mean, there, a dragon has to die. There has to be dragon blood on the table. Multiple for the stakes to or be high. there's three dragons. Are we going to see multiple? I think she can lose two and still win. Are I mean, gonna, one dragon's better than none. Let me tell yeah. you. Okay, so, Drogon, her boy. Who was shot last week? The black dragon. Oh, he's gonna be fine. You think he's the one who's gonna survive? Are we gonna see a White Walker dragon? Probably. A White Walker dragon, like one that would come back. Ice dragon. Di- Ice dragon. That's right. Good God. And that is my biggest fear. Mm. So let me tell you my fear with this, with these dragons beyond the dragons dying. Like, okay, cool, you gotta lose a dragon, but I fear that they will then become um, White Walkers and. And then the, we've got us a story. Essentially zombie dragons that, that breathe is correct. ice. I have to worry about w- nuclear yeah. war with North Korea and ice dragons. That's right. Uh. Take that, Walking Dead. So, so <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think in the books there's a lot of debate because she has three dragons. And about her Targaryen ancestors, they always said the dragon has three heads. And when her ancestor, Aegon Targaryen, conquered Westeros, his two sisters rode the other two dragons. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a lot of debate for you know decades now among book fans about who the other two heads of the dragon would be, who would ride the dragons. You have to supposedly have some Targaryen blood, which means um, – Jon Snow could probably ride a dragon. Right. Sure. That means that um, there's a whole subversive fan theory about how Tyrion Lannister actually has Might Targaryen. Might be a Targaryen. Dr- so a right. lot of people want to see this. The dream team would be Jon, Daenerys, and Tyrion riding dragons. Although Tyrion so. has sort of lost a bit of his je ne sais quoi over the past couple episodes. He's proven that he, his mm-hmm. weakness is his home, and he's not maybe necessarily the political genius that he was cast to be. Mm-hmm. This is Peter Dinklage's character. Um, um, he and and maybe he doesn't seem like he's going to be quite the authority. Uh, no, you I bet you if you put him on a dragon, he'd find some of that Genesee Quad back. You think so? <laughs> you put me on a dragon, I'm coming back strong. Uh, <laughs> uh, showrunners, if you're listening, Candace is available to fill that role. I would like to ride mm-hmm. a dragon, is all I'm saying. I know, <laughs> who wouldn't? Yeah, <laughs> all right, now that's so, nerdy. Uh, <laughs> all right, thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you. And here's hoping that, um, y- you know, that you hope like Game of Thrones. And if you don't, start watching. I hope that we sold it to you, okay, Jake. Okay, I'm sold. Okay, good. Thank you. We're happy you joined us this week. Thank you so much. I'm Laura Weber Davis. Jake Neer and I have been filling in for Stephen Henderson. A special thanks this week to our associate producer, Gus Navarro, who's been stepping up to help us out. And Ria Basha, who did that interview yesterday with See Something, Say Something. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. <laughs>